Welcome to the Staff Eng podcast, where we interview software engineers who have progressed beyond the career level into staff levels and beyond. We're interested in the areas of work that set staff plus level engineers apart from other individual contributors. Things like setting technical direction, mentorship and sponsorship, providing engineering perspective to the org, etc. My name is David Noel Romas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Kessinger. We're both Staff Plus engineers who have been working in software for over a decade. Alex, please tell us a bit about today's guest. Yeah, today's guest is Mason Jones. For the last 25 years, he's been working for mostly early-stage startups around San Francisco. For the last five years, he's been at Credit Karma. He's had a wide variety of roles, from being the first engineer to a chief architect and a VP of engineering. It's always awesome to talk with someone who's had a wide variety of roles. So let's jump in. Well, Mason, thank you so much for joining us today. It's it's great to have you on. I think it would be helpful for listeners if, if we could start by having you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah, thanks uh, very much for, for having me on. Been looking forward to uh, having the discussion. So I am a senior staff SRE at Credit Karma here in San Francisco, and I've been with the company for uh, about five and a half years, a good while. And uh, I probably came to the the sort of staff engineer role here a little bit differently than than some folks do coming from my previous startups where I was generally I often started as the first engineering person the first engineering type uh, and then at a you know very early stage would be involved in building the initial thing whatever that thing was and then uh, end up getting progressively less hands on as we were able to hire up a team and so I've I've done that repeatedly over the years and then uh, kind of joining Credit Karma I purposely wanted to join a, a company that was farther along the journey and just you know get that different sort of experience and it made sense at the time for me to come on as a you know, kind of a staff engineer type to help with a bunch of the interesting work we had going on here. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny you mentioned sort of this path of progressing through small small organizations. It's actually not something that unusual. Alex and I have kind of noticed a pattern that a lot of people we talk to end up either having like a lot of experience leading projects in the open source community or a lot of experience as like leaders in small startups. And I think a lot of the stuff that staff engineers end up doing in bigger organizations is kind of uh, shaped by by the same sort of experience, where oftentimes it's it ends up being useful to ha- have some exposure to influencing folks, and also sort of maintaining at least in the small startup case, maintaining um, context on like a lot of things that are happening in parallel. For context as well, you know, I, I'm obviously familiar with Credit Karma, and I think a lot of listeners are. But I'm curious, like, what size organization are we talking about? Sure. Yeah. Good question. Um, so when I joined here, the company as a whole was a little under 400 people and engineering was about half of that. And we've, we've maintained that ratio for the most part over the years. Now engineering is somewhat over 800 and the company as a whole is, I think last I saw, not quite 1400. Uh, so we've, we've joined a lot or grown a lot since I joined and people are often surprised to hear how many engineers we have, right? Uh, but, you know, we've grown from originally offering credit scores and, you know, helping people kind of understand their credit history to now, you know, adding management for insurance, mortgages, and most recently uh, savings and checking accounts even. So now we're uh, really helping people manage their money as well as just understand what it means. Cool. Are there other staff engineers at Credit Karma? Yes. We we have, I think, 10 levels in our engineering framework. 
and there's sort of the pre-senior stage, there's the senior stage, and then there's staff, staff two, senior staff, and principal. Uh, until very recently, we had never had a principal engineer. <laughs> um, and staff engineers tend to be kind of working within a couple of teams. And senior staff tends to work uh, within a director's organization. So for, for me, for example, I'm, I'm the uh, senior staff engineer in our infrastructure org, which encompasses you know, cloud engineering, observability, database management, uh, and other you know, infrastructure stuff, uh, Kubernetes, the, those pieces of it. We have now only four senior staff engineers uh, at the company. Uh, a couple in product, a couple in platform, and then one principal uh, just recently. One of our senior staff folks is now principal. Interesting. So I feel like you sort of described like the scope at which you would expect a staff engineer to work at. But is there like a typical approach or a set of like expectations for staff engineers at Credit Karma? Sure. For for staff engineers, the expectation is really being able to. Uh, lead a cross-cutting project that requires collaboration across multiple teams. Uh, and that's sort of what differentiates it in our framework from a senior engineer who's expected to lead a project within their team. So it's it's very much an expectation of just increased scope and responsibility. Uh, and with that, of course, comes you know, more expectations for communication, collaboration, and you know, all of those fun non-technical pieces. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm curious, you know, within sort of what you see as the expectations for staff and the scope, you know, is there something that you feel like you bring especially to the role? Is there a way that you practice it that might be different than other staff engineers? I think we're all a little bit different, sure. And you know, that's going to be based on our previous experience, right? I think going back to, you know, kind of what you were saying earlier about people, you know, working at smaller startups and then bringing that experience with them, um, I, I think there's a lot to that because uh, being a, an engineering leader, no matter what your you know, role and title is at a small startup, pretty much necessitates having your fingers in a little bit of everything. And when you bring that experience to being a staff engineer uh, at a larger company, you're you're bringing with you that experience and those skills for bringing together a mess of stuff and making something sensible out of it, right? Which is, I think, you know, probably a, a weird description of project management. <laughs> yeah, with with anything of significant import to a company, you're going to have to understand the technical aspects of it, of course, but you're also going to need to be ready to bring other people along for the ride, uh, communicate the the you know, idea, sometimes sell the idea, right? But then organize it all. And there is inevitably a little bit of project management, program management work to it, and management you know, pure management work to it, you know, pretty much everything except the uh, you know, personnel management. You know, I'm thinking back to one of our, any of our big projects here, and at different times along the lifespan of the project, I would find myself feeling like, you know, oh, I'm I'm an engineer today, and then oh no, I'm I'm a project manager today, and oh I'm I'm a tech writer today, uh, and it's all of those pieces that that come to it, and you know, to your original question of you know what I bring to it. 
uh, you know, all of that previous experience is, is really what I bring to it. And because of that, different people will approach the same work in a different way based on how they've managed to successfully do it in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to circle back to a lot of the things that, that you touched on there. But before we do, I'm curious if you could sort of frame the context for a little bit in the sense of like, concretely, what does work at your scope look like? Like maybe if you could think of some example projects that um, that you've been involved in or that you've driven. Yeah, basically, basically, what, what would you sort of aim to accomplish over a, a day or a week or a month or a quarter or whatever? That's an interesting question because they're all so different. And you know, thinking back over you know, a number of years here, different projects have looked very different. Um, and Oftentimes, I will work on a particular project for a quarter or two and then move on to the next one. But some projects last a year. And in some projects, I'm almost managing a group of people. And on other projects, I'm managing a a piece of the project and just making sure that it's uh, going along in, in the right way. Uh, on the biggest projects, I have typically partnered with uh, a TPM, a technical program manager here, to kind of help with the uh, the organization and then a lot of the bookkeeping pieces of it. And also, you know, that way we can kind of double team on, on you know other groups that need to be you know, pulled along, convinced to to join in, or you know just tracked as part of the project. Going back to, I mean, as an example, uh, several years ago we moved out of our data centers into cloud, and so we were literally mapping out all of our systems, living in our data center, figuring out what we had, uh, discovering things we'd forgotten we had, <laughs> and figuring out what do we do with this stuff. Mapping out the route to get it into the cloud, and that, of course required all of engineering to participate. And so having a TPM uh, on that was essential. And I focused on a piece of it and other staff engineers focused on other pieces of it. Uh, So my role in that went from early on archaeology, <laughs> you know, looking through our systems and figuring out what do we have, uh, identifying things that you know, we'd all forgotten about and figuring out what it meant. Then uh, the design part of it, we have this thing, and here's what cloud looks like. How do we pick this up and drop it into the cloud? And so that's the technical work of it. Uh, Then once we had that sort of figured out, it was wrangling all of the teams who then inevitably needed to be involved, communicating to them what we expected from them, figuring out what we could expect from them and what we were going to have to do on their behalf as platform engineering. And you know, that spanned technical writing, collaboration, communication, and then just you know, partnering with them. So from the start of the project to the end of the project, my role shifted constantly. Uh, and that's, you know, honestly, that's also what makes the work fun. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, you know, diving into something specific that you mentioned there, Speaking personally, I don't always find the right sort of layer of abstraction to interface with with TPMs effectively. I'm curious if you have advice on that or sort of what you've seen work, what you haven't seen work. Yeah, that's definitely a a personality-based situation. Depends on both sides of the partnership. Uh, Some TPMs are more technical than others, for one thing. So that will inevitably shift the boundary, you know, one way or the other between us. So... The best thing that I've found is to really 
sit down early on and sort of talk through expectations and think about where that boundary makes sense. Because I, I actually think it's going to be different every single time. Uh, and so it pays to sit down together and work that out. And you know, it's not like you're going to s- you know, sit down and say, okay, each day I'm going to take things to this line and then you're going to pick it up. It's it's more, it's going to be more loose than that, but it's a matter of understanding where handoffs need to happen, where someone's strengths and weaknesses are. I, for one, can do sort of project management type work, you know, looking through the Jira Epic and figuring out where are things at and who needs to do what next. Uh, it's my least favorite part of it. <laughs> and there are other people who are way better at it than I am. So that's the sort of thing where I'll keep it in mind and, and realize, you know what, if I have to do this, I will. But if the other person is going to be good at that and can take it on, that's going to be better for the project and, and everything. So just understanding and really getting to know the person. And, you know, if this is going to be a year-long project, we're, we're essentially going to be married for a year. We need to get on really well. We need to understand each other and we need to be in constant communication. So, you know, putting effort in early on to build that relationship and just understand what the relationship looks like will really pay off. Shifting gears a little bit, I one of the things you mentioned is that on any given day, you could do one thing, you could be a technical writer, you could be an engineer, you know. And it sounds like, so you have a lot of range. There's a lot of things you could do in a day. Given that you have that choice and that leeway, how do you make sure that you're always sort of aligned with what your organization needs from you or what your organization is trying to do? Do you have a process for understanding that alignment? That's a huge, good question. If we're deep in a project, then that makes it kind of easier because you've got your priorities laid out already. Uh, if you're, if we're in between projects or if I've just got kind of a few different things in the air, you know, a bunch of smaller projects going on, then that's, that's definitely tricky. When something has just finished or ideally actually as something is finishing, that's where I'm talking to my director and talking to other people and trying to understand what's going on uh, and what could be useful as the next thing for me to focus on. So there, there are different phases in, in my world uh, where I might find myself. The, the, the key is, is just prioritizing. I find satisfaction when I'm working on something challenging that I know will benefit the company. You know, it's easy to, to actually find some you know, technically challenging thing and kind of work on it for several weeks and, and then discover that it, it actually didn't really move the needle. It didn't make a big difference. So I uh, it's probably not the best thing for me to spend my time on. So that's where the communication really enters into it as well. Um, trying to be in, in contact with lots of people and lots of different teams, see what's going on, see what's coming up, uh, and be able to hopefully kind of bring my head above water occasionally, look around, see what's coming, and think about what's going to be next. Because if I Kind of finish a big project, and then I start to look around. It, it could be a good month before I find something useful and uh, and important to work on. So trying to see ahead a little bit really pays off. Um, it can be tough. Uh, you know, there's in in a company our size now. Uh, there are you know, dozens of things going on, most of which I don't even really know much about, other than hearing a word here and there. So trying to see where a difference can be made uh, over the next couple of quarters, over the next year, is is challenging but interesting. 
Uh, and I, I think that's the important thing for me. Interesting. One of the things you mentioned is that, you know, when you're trying to understand the next project, find it, you mentioned that like communicating is really important. Is there like a concrete way that that communication takes place? Like, is it, are you doing one-on-ones? Are you doing status meetings? You know, what does it look like when you, you actually go to seek out that, that new opportunity? Yeah, I I do semi-regular one-on-ones with different people. It it tends to shift. I'll, I'll go through like a couple of months of or a, or a couple of quarters even of meeting with with a certain group of people, uh, and then some of them will drop off, and others will add on, and so it's constantly evolving. And I think that's pretty natural. Uh, so I will try to meet with other staff engineers pretty regularly. We have uh, a couple of organized regular meetings. For example, within platform engineering, we've got a platform architecture group that is sort of a a group of people available to review designs and proposals, not as gatekeepers, but as, hey, if you want to show this to us, we'll get together with you, talk through it, and help you identify potential problems, answer questions. And it's a great way of disseminating knowledge about what's going on within, within the team. Um, I'm obviously doing regular one-on-ones with my manager, who's the director of our infrastructure department. Uh, I also have periodic one-on-ones with our VP. So I'll pretty much use those to ask, you know, what what's concerning you these days? Uh, what's coming up? You know, what should we be thinking about? Uh, what, what wakes you up in the morning? Because those are the sorts of things where, you know, hey, if, if this is worrying you, then, you know, hey, I should at least think about it. should at least know about it. So it's it's those sorts of uh, conversations on a regular, semi-regular basis. Then there's a certain amount of time spent each day watching and thinking about what's going on. Like probably everybody else these days, we use Slack heavily. We, we hardly use email anymore, you know, it's weird. But because of that, I lurk in lots of Slack channels and... Being in the platform engineering organization, I've found really helps me because everything sort of touches us eventually. My very first big project here, the, the reason I joined the company was to move us from a monolith to a microservices architecture. Uh, and in the process of doing that and kind of getting that going and then the later migration to the cloud, uh, I ended up touching almost every single product engineering team, uh, which is great for feeling the pulse of what's going on and kind of seeing you know, what's what's slowing people down, what's getting in the way, what's not scaling, you know, all of these things. So watching commentary, reading Slack channels, seeing what people are chattering about, and sometimes noticing patterns, like, oh, you know, someone's complaining about this thing and someone else was complaining about it last week so maybe that's something that you know we should be thinking about i like to just spend a little bit of time each day catching up on various slack channels and seeing what's going on uh, and that'll sometimes point me to someone and say yeah i should schedule one-on-one with this person and learn more learning what's going on is is essential cool a couple times, so you, you've mentioned a couple projects, you know, like moving from monolith to microservice, moving from, you know, um, what am I saying? <laughs> right, from our data center. <laughs> yeah, you're sorry, cloud. data center to the yeah. cloud, right, yeah. sorry, brain fart. Uh, but then you also mentioned things that are like a little bit more um, soft, like watching friction in Slack, being like, oh, I'm noticing a pattern of friction here. You know, on those things that I that might be a little less concrete, like there's 
friction, like people are having a slightly hard time doing a thing. You know, how do you find yourself articulating the value to your organization that you you or someone should go and fix those things? Yeah, that's the um, sort of prioritization question and impact question. Uh, we have a, a few particular values, I guess, one of which is velocity, but one of which is reliability as well. So from from platform, from the platform engineering perspective, we're looking at both the reliability of the systems, but also the efficiency of our internal tools. We're responsible for keeping the site up and going, but we're also responsible for managing and building and, and maintaining the tools for you know, all of the engineers to get their work done. So that's good because there's always this balance of, hey, we could loosen things and people could move much, much faster, but then reliability goes down the tubes. So we have to find that balance. We are in a, uh, you know, in the fintech space, uh, we manage incredibly sensitive data. Security is the first thing we think about before we do anything. So that also puts some restrictions on what we can open up. Right, what what tools we can provide, what we can let people do. So again, that that impacts the velocity of things. So the value of a particular piece of work in my area will often come down to either this is going to improve our reliability or uh, MTTR or you know, all of these things, or it's going to improve development velocity because those are the two things that we have the biggest impact on. So if I'm sort of seeing something going on and I'm thinking, hey, you know, this, this should probably be worked on, uh, someone should spend some time on this, it, it might not even be something that I'm going to spend time on, but I might be the person to bring it up and you know go and talk to a manager or a director and say, I've been seeing this, I think we should dig in more, and here's the benefit that we might get out of it. Let's figure out how to measure that potential benefit, and then we can prioritize it and decide whether it needs to get done or not. Do you think that there's any inherent tensions between some of the priorities that you mentioned being security, reliability, and developer productivity? And, and if so, like, how do you think about resolving them? Ah, it, it's almost one of those cases where you, you know the old saying, uh, a compromise is when both sides walk away unhappy <laughs> because you can't satisfy everybody. So it's finding a balance. That balance is going to depend on the company's culture, I think, and the company's values. Uh, for us, security is first. If there is a security concern about something, that trumps all other concerns. Uh, we're, we're not going to you know, say, hey, if we, if we let everyone just SSH to production and debug, then they can move way, way faster. Not going to happen. Never going to happen. So we find that balance. Like, okay, if you can't do that, then how do you get your job done? So for me, as you know, as a senior staff engineer in our infrastructure area, I'm looking at uh, okay, cloud stuff. Um, we can't let everyone just terraform away because hey, they might destroy production. So where do we draw the line? What tooling do we provide so that they can get their job done? And how self service can we make this? We realize the more self service, the better, but we have to decide where that line is drawn based on stability, reliability, and security. So it's it's balance. It's to some extent, you know, pushing things as far as we can to achieve that reliability and velocity. But as you say, they are going to be in conflict and security is, is going to enter into the mix as well. So when I'm 
looking at a potential project, when I'm, for example, reviewing someone's tech design document, I'm there to help them think about those things, you know, bring my experience to it and say, uh, you know, I've I've seen this pattern before. And if you try to do this, then security is going to say, nope. So let me help you think about another way to achieve this. Or, hey, did you realize that if you do this and open it up, then it might have this impact on our reliability? And just, you know, help ask those questions and figure out what we can do. This is maybe going to sound like I'm repeating myself. It's a variation on the same question. But when there are sort of these uh, priorities that are in tension, like we just talked about, Oftentimes what you'll find is that different groups within the company or different teams within the company sort of are favoring one one angle over the other, right? And then what, what starts out as sort of like a, you know, maybe a rational process like you described actually becomes a process of two groups of people that disagree because their compasses are slightly askew, right? They're pointing in different directions. Um, so when it becomes a problem about getting people aligned, th- then how do you think about it? Yeah, and this enters into the... Um you know, leading without authority, right? Leading without explicit authority. And ideally that happens. Uh, Ideally, if I'm maybe the one leading this project uh, and I've got these, you know, two teams and I'm asking both teams to participate in the project and they're not able to come to an agreement, then, you know, that's certainly where I need to step in and realign everybody generally kind of having everyone step back and reminding them of the goals of the project is the best first step you know we're all there to do the same thing in the end we've got the same goal so let's step back remind ourselves what the desired outcome is because often more often than not the conflict is about how to reach that goal it's not about the goal and so let's think about that goal again and then let's think about the constraints that we're under and then let's find that balance together you know, a, a very common example is you know a team needs to get this thing done and they're getting pressured to hit their schedule and i'm helping them with the design and security is saying no you can't do it that way and then you know the team that's under pressure of course is is going to get stressed and i need to help them understand security is not a bad guy. They're actually the good guy and we need to help them. And maybe I can help them imagine a different way to get this done because I've been doing this a while and I've been in this role for a while. I may have seen other examples of teams doing similar work, but I can also call on staff engineers in other areas of the company to say, have you done something like this before? Do you you have some ideas? And then I'm I'm just sort of helping be an information gatherer for them, uh, which is you know, a really valuable thing to do if I can. So arming them with the information and you know, helping them understand that nobody's trying to prevent them from getting their work done. They're doing their part for the company to protect our users, protect our systems, and so on. And it's sometimes a bit of a, like a marriage counselor role. And because I'm not the manager, I can't say, no, you're going to do this. It's more my part to help them understand their possibilities. Yep, that makes sense. Switching topics a little bit, 
I'm curious about sort of, and, and maybe this uh, fits back in with something we were talking about earlier, but uh, when you think about sort of quantifying the impact that you're having, are there, you know, does this credit karma do like OKRs or anything like that? Is there some kind of framework that you're using to sort of like measure uh, what's happening? Yeah, we do quarterly OKRs. They're sort of uh, top down meets bottom up. Right? You know, a, a team will have some things that they would like to get done this quarter. The company has things they want to get done this quarter. And we, we meet in the middle. And I, I say that, but it's not, truthfully, it's not entirely in the middle because you know, company goals trump individual team goals. That's fair. We all understand that. But that's, you know, that's the general idea is that the company has some needs, team has some stuff they want to do, and we figure out how it all meshes together. And we do, you know, I think, typical OKR uh, measurements. They, the OKRs are to identify the big chunks of work and to get everyone aligned more so than like a, a project management tool. Right. Uh, the I think the biggest benefit of OKRs is that we publish them all in a place where everyone can go see them. If you're curious what is another team's priority for the quarter, go and look at their OKRs. They're right there. And they help us identify the dependencies. Um, and that's oftentimes where, um, where I'll, I'll be a little bit more involved, I guess, because of you know, how I work kind of across our department. Um, if I see there's a dependency, I can help potentially call that out. When you're first starting a project, you don't necessarily uh, know all the dependencies at the beginning. Uh, and so helping identify those when a design document or a PRD or something comes along, um, I can ideally help notice things and say, uh, have you thought about this? No, you better probably go talk to that team over there uh, make sure that they know you're going to do this because I think it's going to impact them in this way. Uh, switching topics again, um, I'm curious, do you have any particular practices around sponsorship or mentoring of, of folks in your organization? Is that something that you you do? And if you do, what's your approach to it? Yeah, there's, there's informal and formal, actually. Informal comes in two forms. Uh, one is that sometimes people will get in touch and uh, ask if I if I'd be available to you know, start doing one-on-ones with them and sort of you know, mentor them and, and help them along. Uh, and that's great. That, that feels good. There's also just during a project when I'm working with other people, I will try to help them out, obviously. Uh, and you know, sometimes that turns into informal mentoring where you know, I'll be helping a, maybe a senior engineer on a big project and you know, helping them kind of up-level and start thinking about things at that that larger scope. Uh, we also do a formal mentorship uh, program at Credit Karma. We've done it sometimes twice a year, sometimes once a year. And it's it's just an optional thing where people can sign up to be mentors, and then other people can sign up as mentees. Uh, and I've, uh, I've done that regularly, and it's really fun. One of the neat things about that one is that the, uh, the folks who organize our, um, our internal education efforts run the mentorship program and they connect people so we'll do a, a quick sort of uh, mentorship program start where people will go around and, and just ask various questions and learn about the mentors uh, and then they'll kind of indicate what they're looking for and who seemed potentially like a match and then our organizers will connect everybody and the result is that i've often gotten connected with people in other parts of the company that i wouldn't really have gotten to know otherwise 
it's the best kind of mentorship where we're learning from each other. You know, I'm learning what their job is like and helping them understand how engineering operates potentially, or, you know, just uh, an engineer in a, in another part of the org that I haven't really worked with before uh, and kind of helping them. So uh, mentorship is, is you know, a terrific thing. And I've done it outside the company as well through other mentorship programs. I figure, you know, What's the point of having a bunch of experience if you're not going to share it? Yeah. I'm curious if you've ever had an experience where mentoring or sort of informal or formal wasn't as easy as you, not easy. It's, you know, like things aren't supposed to be necessarily easy, but like where it was maybe more challenging than you thought it would be, you know, and how you responded to that. Yeah. There've been a couple of examples, I think uh, a couple of different types of, in one case, it wasn't an, an internal mentorship where uh, the the mentee legitimately had a real management problem that they needed to work through. And I was acquainted with the head of their department, but not their manager. And yeah, that's a challenge because you know, it's not as if I'm going to you know, break confidence and go step in and go talk to the you know the head of their department and say, "Did you know that this is going on?" So I'm like, "Okay, how do I really help them and understand them?" And I'm not their manager, so is the manager the problem or is my mentee the problem? <laughs> I need to figure that out first and and really guide them. And that I, thankfully that one worked out really well, uh, but it it did throw me for a loop initially because I kind of left the first. Uh, the first meeting thinking, wow, okay, how, how am I actually going to approach this in the context of my company and privacy and everything else? Like, how do I work with them to get them through this? So it's like being a manager without being a manager. Um, in other cases, I think the challenge has more been, how do I, how do I make myself useful to this person? I've, I've had, you know, the occasional one where you kind of start talking and realize, all right, I, I'm not sure that what you're looking for is something I can give you, but let's just do do the best we can, learn from each other, and at, you know, at the very worst, we will have you know, we will come away knowing more than we did. Cool. And you know, when you when you take a step back and you look at all the different kinds of work that you could do, engineering, project management, team sponsoring, mentorship, you know, do you have like a you know like a pie and a percentage of the pie that you like to hit on each one of those? You know, or is it more fluid for you? It's fluid, but there are certainly pieces of it that I want to make sure I, I check off uh, from time to time. You know, one of the one of the things that I like about this particular role of, of being a staff engineer is that it is inevitably part management, part leadership, part technical, and those are really the the three big pieces where you know the the, the management is in guiding what we're doing and why we're doing it and then you know, the technical is sort of how we're doing it uh, and then the, the leadership is is just helping put the pieces together and you know make it easier for everybody to do the best work they can all the other pieces of of this that, that float around are less important than those three for me awesome do you have like your favorite mentorship story? Like you mentored this person and then they became like the, you know, the next CTO or something? Yeah. Yeah. Through a, a, an outside uh, mentorship program that I've been part of for a little while, I got connected with a kind of senior engineer, small startup 
who was you know, trying to find his place in in the inevitable startup chaos. Right? They were growing fast, and there were all these things going on, and he was thinking about where where to go and what he wanted to do. And just over over time, I was able to to help him kind of think through the possibilities. And you know, he's now a manager there. Uh, and they're growing, and he's growing with them. And you know, seeing that happen is is always terrific. I had a had a similar one re- recently as well, um, where this lead engineer, we we were going through the mentorship program, and I was talking with her about what she was working on, and then she kind of became manager, uh, and then the COO left the company, and suddenly she was reporting directly to the CEO, uh, and trying to figure out well, what, what does this mean now? And you know, being able to help her think through how to how to make best use of the opportunity, but also uh, not sink and you know, figure out how to prioritize everything. Um, and now she's you know, VP of engineering at, at the place as it grows. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just awesome to to see that sort of thing happen. Hmm. That's very cool. Actually, on that note, sort of this idea of like growing a. a, a a leader in, inside a growing organization and kind of maybe going full circle. Like I know that you touched a little bit on sort of how you think that your experience inside smaller organizations influenced your, your work at Credit Karma. But I'm curious if there's anything sort of like any one specific trait that you think uh, has translated sort of most effectively from those earlier experiences to, to your current work. Communication is i think what i would point to um and that's that's due to having spent time leading or uh, engineering at companies with lots of non-engineering people uh which slowly got me good at being able to translate technical into non-technical and as a staff engineer you might think that that's not as important what it helped with is leading me to be able to take technical proposals, technical ideas, and connect them to the business value and connect them to the reason why we should do this thing. Uh, and I think that's that's probably the biggest thing that I learned over the years at early stage startups is, you know, if if I'm thinking, oh, we should we should build this thing. And I go to the founder and I say, we should build this thing. And the founder looks at me and says, why should we build this thing? And you know, it, early on, I would just look at them and say, well, because it needs to be built. Duh. That's not very helpful, as it turns out. Uh, so learning that, no, you know, I need to step back, provide context, provide an explanation of the value for it. And why should we build this thing instead of these other 10 things? Because we're at an early stage startup and we need to build all 11 of them no matter what. Can't we build them all at once? Working out all of that uh, and understanding how to communicate it, uh, I think, has probably been the most valuable lesson I've learned. Awesome. That makes sense. It kind of it rings true. It fits with, with other patterns that I've seen. Are there some resources, books, blogs, uh, people like that you, you follow, etc., who have sort of influenced the way that you think about this stuff? Let's see. Well, it's it's interesting because for uh, for the idea of you know, operating as a staff plus engineer, 
there's been a lot more information sort of percolating out of the industry over the last year or so, literally, I think. Um, and yeah, we, we all have to point to Will Larson for uh, for some of that, of course. You know, I've got, got the book here, got his new book upstairs. That's that's been really interesting. You know, I'm I'm in a Slack group that's got a channel of staff plus engineers talking about this stuff, and so you know, any community of people trying to tackle the same problems is super valuable, right? I would say find, build your community um, exactly like like you're doing here. You know, we all need to learn from each other because nobody has this figured out. Uh, we've we've only been doing this computer thing for sixty years or so, compared to other industries that have been doing it for hundreds of years. I feel like I've been doing this forever, and yet, you know, every day, I'm finding countless things that I have no idea how to do, uh, whether technical or non-technical. So, having other people to bounce ideas off of, no matter what, is, is super important inside your company, but also outside your company. I find talking with the you know, the other people in inside the company, we we all are tackling similar problems, um, but we're also coming at it from a similar perspective. And when you describe the same problem to someone in another company, that different perspective is immediately going to unlock some ideas that you're not going to come to yourself. Um, you, you you get locked into your your day to day, and it's hard to get yourself out of it sometimes with a other people to help you do that. Since I've been working in the, the infrastructure and platform engineering area for, for several years here, I've accumulated a good list of you know, people to follow on Twitter and you know, people at conferences and, and so forth. So within whatever area of practice somebody is in, uh, building up that library of people and resources is, is really important. And that's going to be very different for you know, someone who's doing you know, uh, React and TypeScript all day long versus someone who's you know, doing Kubernetes and, and Docker all day long like I do. Uh, it's The tech world has gotten really, really big. And so you, specializing is good and bad. Um, I, you know, I'll spend my time struggling with React in, in my spare time just to stay in it stay on top of other things. That's what side projects are for. But, you know, I also have to keep myself from going off tangent and saying, well, I'm, I'm working on this side project and I could kind of figure out how to do this thing in React or, or, or I could just go and build a whole CI and containerized system and Minikube for it. And then that's what I do day to day. So, you know, learning all the time ultimately is, is the key there. Um, there are lots of books out there, lots of blogs out there. I subscribe to probably too many weekly emails on various different topics from infrastructure to front-end work. Even if I don't read that stuff in detail, again, it's pattern matching. I'll see, uh, hey, I've seen a mention of this project several times in the past few weeks. Um, I should probably go and take a closer look at it because if that many people are talking about it, it's something I should at least be familiar with. And continuing to learn all of that sort of stuff is absolutely what makes this job fun after so many years. So we have our final question, which we hope is fun and lighthearted, not um, incriminating. How much time do you spend coding nowadays compared to, you know, all your other responsibilities? Yep, yep. It, it varies hugely from month to month, quarter to quarter. Most recently, I'd say I've actually 
you, you've caught me at a point where I'm probably coding about 15 to 20% of the time. It occasionally goes above that, but not for an extended period of time, honestly. I will more commonly contribute a few lines here and there to something or you know, put together a Terraform module and, and put it out there, but then go days without coding. Um, at, at the moment, I'm, I'm actually testing out a bunch of APIs and uh, building a tool around them that'll turn into a Slack bot that people will be able to use, and that'll be cool. So I've been doing a little bit more coding, and uh, that's nice. Um, but that's also why I work on side projects in my, my spare time is try to, uh, to stay in that, work on you know something that I don't do day to day. I do mostly uh, you know, infrastructure-ish stuff uh, and then coding in Go on tools right now. So my spare time project is a Ruby on Rails app again. Stay on top of that. What's the project? Can you share? Uh, uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Someday I'll get it to where people can try using it. Yep. Well, Mason, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. That's it. Thanks so much for listening to Staff Inch. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider adding a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. It helps others find the show and is a really useful signal to us that folks are finding value in this so that we keep doing it. You can find the notes from today's episode at our website, podcast.staffenge.com. The website also has our contact info. Please don't be shy.